out a framework that's going to be a pattern for the rest of Isaiah. So when we look at the first five, we're going to have five chapters of woe. So it's going to be woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. We get to chapter six, Isaiah is going to say, woe to me. And we're going to discover in the first five chapters of Isaiah, we have this picture of the brokenness of man and, and the problem, the issue, the sin, the struggle, the rebellion, all the different things that we'll take a look at in those first five chapters. And chapter six is the cure. And, and we're going to follow that pattern all the way through the book of Isaiah. So you'll have several chapters where he's going to focus on the problem, but he's always going to come back and, and also present the cure. And that cure in Isaiah 6, right, is, is the coal from the altar touching the lips of Isaiah and making him clean. And for the first time in biblical history, something that is clean touches something that is unclean, and instead of they both become unclean, the unclean becomes clean. That's going to be important because that's exactly what Jesus is going to do in his ministry. When Jesus comes and he's walking, we read the Gospels, and a, and a man with leprosy comes up and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. What happens if you're a rabbi and you touch a leper? You're unclean. What happens when Jesus touches him? He becomes clean. So you, you have this laid out for us first in Isaiah, 66 books. So there's a lot that we're going to cover we're going to get a lot of things on, on the Messiah. We're going to see a lot of things uh, as we work our way through. But that's going to be a pattern. Here's the problem. Man's broken. He's sinful. He's rebellious. And he can't seem to get himself out of this pattern. What's the cure? Well, the cure is the Messiah. The cure is Jesus. The cure is that God is able to purge you and make you clean. And it's something that we don't do ourselves. It's something that we can't accomplish in us. It's something we submit to. So the struggle, one of the struggles that we're going to see painted as we work our way through is this idea of fulfilling the physical nature of religion, but that never penetrating into the reality of life. You guys understand what I mean? Like, for example, I went to church. And so, and I've been going to church faithfully for, you know, 30 years. I've been going to church, but going to church did nothing to you spiritually. That's just punching a card. You guys get what I'm saying? It's, has, has church gotten into you? Has the word penetrated into you? Is it touching your life? Is it, is it beginning to work that change? See, the Jews were really good about bringing sacrifices and bringing offerings and fulfilling feast days. And celebrating all those things that the scripture talked about them doing. But all of those things point to a relationship with God, not just the physical attributes of I showed up. And so the idea is if I show up and I bring an offering, my sins are forgiven? That wasn't the concept. The concept was I come and I learn, I understand what sin accomplishes, what sin does, and I submit myself to God and allow God to to work in my life. And that's something that God's going to lay out for the children of Israel that he wants them to begin to understand. So we start off in the beginning, verse 2. We did verse 1 last week. We're going to do more than one verse today. <clears throat> we start off in verse 1. In verse 2, we have the offense. What is Israel's offense? And this is going to go back to Romans chapter 1. Hopefully you'll see some of the parallels. 
But in Isaiah 1, 2, and 3, it says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. For children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner. The donkey knows its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. The first charge that, brought, that God brings is, is a charge against just their common sense. It's the same charge he brings in Romans chapter 1. He says, everyone knows God. You can proclaim yourself an atheist. You have the right to make that proclamation. But God says, you're a liar. God says, everyone knows that he has been made by God. Everyone has that understanding. Now, we rebel against it. We don't want to succumb to it. We're mad at him because our life went a different direction than we thought it should. Or we didn't get the things that we wanted to get. Whatever, and that leads us to, to different proclamations. But in Romans 1, he says, you're going against nature. You know I am God. And you are without excuse with that knowledge. And in Romans chapter 1, 16, verse 16 and on, you have this proclamation given by uh, Paul. In Deuteronomy thirty nineteen, you have a similar phrase by Moses. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. The concept that he's saying is, look, I'm saying that this is natural. Most people, given a choice, will choose life. Most people want to live. And so he's saying, look, well, why would you choose death? Why would you choose a path that leads to destruction? So when he lays out this idea, calling heaven and earth to, to look, he's saying, this is evident in nature. The donkey knows who his master is. It's evident in nature. He says, the ox knows its owner. Animals understand where they belong. Man struggles. Ultimately, because man struggles with submitting to anything other than himself, Right? Oh, really? It's very easy for me to submit to myself because I, I almost always think I'm right. But it's difficult when we are called to submit to anything else. Look at verse 4. He says, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. Now, this is the first woe. Woe to you. I want you to understand, the ESV, I think, does a good job changing. Woe has some connotations that, that make us think that it's a cry of judgment against the people. And really what it is, is a cry of grief. It's, it's God grieving over their choice of destruction. It's God grieving over their, their waywardness. If you are a parent who has raised kids to adulthood, you have woed. Or you're perfect parenting, you should write a book. I have woed over my kids. I have been grief-stricken over their choices, over directions that they have taken, things that they have done. This is the same thing, a father in heaven grieving over his creation, grieving over his children. And the point is, we're, God is saying, we're estranged. You don't want me anymore. 
Now, maybe in our earthly relationships, we, we've had people do us wrong or something where we've broken a relationship with a parent or brother or sister or aunt or uncle or somebody. But the idea is here is that all God's done is provided life. All he's done is, is given good things. And their response has been to rebel, turn their back on God and go the, the way, the path, the road that leads to destruction. So I just want you to get the idea, because when we studied through Proverbs, you'll remember, Proverbs is a, a book that lays out for us in life, there are two roads you can take. One is the path of the fool, the other is, is the path of wisdom, right? Wisdom is the path of life. The, the path of the fool leads to plummeting off a cliff. So if you or I, if you could imagine as, as parents, we're able to watch our children take off down a road where the bridge is washed out, plummeting uh, over a cliff, think of how we would grieve over their choice to take that road. And you're standing there, you can see where that road's going to lead. This is the picture we want to have when we look at what God is saying to the nation of Israel, of, of what he understands. So they are filled with iniquity, sin. They're, they don't want anything that God their Father has laid out for them. They only want to do evil. They want to have feet swift to shed blood. They lie, they cheat, they deal falsely. All of these things are, are examples of um, men, women, and children not being imagers. In Genesis chapter 1, it says God created man in his own image, right? That he created a male and female in the image of God. So the idea is not some kind of noun. The idea is as a verb. We are to image forth God. We should reflect his holiness. We should reflect his righteousness. We should reflect his glory. We should be like him, right? Well, if we have children... You know, for the most part, as a father, I want my kids to not make the same mistakes I made. Now, I don't have that issue with God. God hasn't made any mistakes. But he's laid out this pathway, this roadway to follow, and there's a rejection of that, a rejection of life, and an acceptance of death heading, uh, going headlong. So they've forsaken the Lord. They don't want their father. They have despised. That word is hated. They have hated the Holy One of Israel. That's another reference of God. They are utterly estranged, totally separated. Not This is not God's choice saying, I'm done with you guys. It's man's choice saying, we're done with you, God. And we're going in our own way. We see a similar language for estrangement out of Ezekiel. The other thing that we understand of estrangement is... The picture of unfaithfulness. So one of the things we want to understand when the scripture says that they are estranged, it's not only that they've left God. It's not only that they don't want a relationship with their father. It is that they're leaving that relationship with the father to have a different relationship with the father. They're leaving that relationship to have another relationship with false God, with other deities, with just like a husband being estranged from his wife to cheat with another woman. Same picture. Now, we don't have a hard time seeing that that is wrong, right? We, we look at it and we go, yeah, that's not, 
the kind of relationship that we want to see, but that's the picture God's painting of his people. You're leaving me and being faithful to me, and you're cheating on me with others. That's this picture of idolatry. Ezekiel 14.5, he says, That I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. They've gone to worship other. It's not that they have said there is no God and so we're just done. It is leaving of the true God to go to other gods. To go to other beings, to worship other things. Demons, angels, whatever those things are. I'm not saying that there's not some real entity behind the names, but that they're leaving the true, the holy one, and they're going to the false. This is what the idea of estrangement is, or unfaithful. In verse 5, he says, "Will why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? Why, why are you running down this road of destruction? Think back to Proverbs, two paths, life, death. Remember what God said in Deuteronomy. I said before you, blessing and cursing, life and death. Choose life. Man gets to pick the road he's on, right? Man gets to pick the direction he's going to take. And so God's lament, literally, this is God's lament. He's his woe crying out over his people who are unfaithful to him, who are leaving him. And, uh, and, and as he does so, his cry is, why? Why, why do you want to die? Okay, it's not God standing with an axe over the people. Those things happen later. This is the people choosing the cliff. This is the people choosing destruction, okay? So he says the whole head <coughs> is sick and the whole heart faint. So just think about it. If you were to go home physically and you have a headache, and that headache lasts for days and days and days, maybe weeks, Sooner or later, that headache is going to cause you to seek someone who can tell you what's wrong with your head. Right? Or if you find out that every time you exert yourself, you start to faint, there's something wrong with your heart, what are you going to do? You're going to go find out what's wrong with my heart, right? You're going to go seek help for for what is what is ailing me, what's wrong with me. And this is God's charge. You, your head is sick and your heart is faint. He says, the, from the sole of the foot even into the head, there's no soundness. There's bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are pressed up, but they are not pressed up or bound or softened with oil. So he says, he says what you're doing is like someone who's sick but won't get help. You, you have a head injury. You have bruises and cuts all over, but... But you're not dressing the wounds. You're not taking care of them. Only their wounds are not physical. They're spiritual. And here's the reality. This is what we do, right? We, we divide our life between physical and spiritual. And we don't often think that the spiritual is real. So God is saying to the people, man, you're, you're all battered and bruised. And you need bound up. You need healing. You need attention. But you're not seeking it. You just continue. You're headed down the road. And the, and the, and the damage continues to be done. 
They're not pressed. They're not bound. They're not softened with oil. There's no, there's no dressing taking place. So the metaphor is your body is being battered and bruised and beaten on this road of destruction and still you go headlong. And you're not stopping. In Hosea, Hosea 5.13, here's what the word says. It says, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, so Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he's not able to cure you. Or heal your wound. So in that case, Hosea, looking at at uh, Israel and and Judah, is saying, "Man, you're you've chosen a road of rebellion against God, and and you're spiritually suffering for it. There's real damage occurring in your body, but you're not you're not going to God for healing. What you're doing is you're going to Syria, you're going to Egypt, you're going somewhere else. You're you're leaving the faithful." true healer, the one who can help, and going to ones who can't. In Isaiah 55, he's going to say, why do you take your money and buy things that can't satisfy you? Why do you think you're thirsty, but but you can't ever satisfy your thirst because you try to satisfy it somewhere else? You're hungry, but you can't buy physical bread to feed that hunger what did jesus say when he came he said i'm living water if you drink of me what you'll never thirst what's that satisfaction right i'm the i'm the bread of life if you eat of me what there's satisfaction right because that is feeding a spiritual need in a body that is both physical and spiritual if you don't feed your physical body what happens you die. If you don't dress your physical wounds, if you don't take care of your body when your body is telling you something's wrong, what happens? You die. And somehow we remove that concept from spiritual issues. So we say, well, if I never address the spiritual issues of my life, I can continue running down this road of, of destruction and, and doing damage spiritually to myself and there's no real repercussions there's no real damage that occurs but god says yeah there is you're dying you're dying and you and you don't even recognize that that's where the this road that you're on you don't even recognize that that's where this road is taking you i had a there's an interesting quote that kind of help us uh, hopefully it's going to help us kind of deal with a couple of of things that we're going to talk about. Because we're going to talk about a lot about the wrath of God, okay? And and the wrath of God being poured out. And, and we all have mental pictures for what that looks like. But I want to mess with your mental picture a little bit and, and hopefully help you see that uh, a little bit differently, okay? And in a little different light. So if I choose to smash my car into a brick wall traveling 100 miles an hour, I will experience the wrath of God. The natural results of my unnatural act. The natural results of my unnatural act. The word for wrath is, in Greek is a word orge. It's a predisposed disposition. It means that if I jump off a cliff, gravity will take a hold of me and I will land on the ground. Right? And bad things will happen. 
As someone has said, I, I have not broken any natural laws. I only demonstrated them. Right? Uh, that if I, if two uh, opposing forces, right, meet, you know, equal and opposite reaction, bad things, yes, I, I have not broken a law. I have just demonstrated the truth behind them. The same is true in the spiritual realm. If I live in ways contrary to my nature, I will experience the destructive results of my behavior. In a sense, the Bible calls that the wrath of God. It's a metaphor for what happens when I go down the road of destruction and I'm damaging my my spiritual life as I make these choices in my life. The natural occurrence of that is the wrath of God. The soul that sins shall die. That's the same as as the soul that jumps off a cliff is going to fall. You're never going to fall up. But you see, when we deal with the physical, you and I, we get that part, right? If we go over to the, to the, to the, to the, to the, what you call it? Huh? Yeah, that works. We go to the canyon rim, we go over to the bridge, we jump off without a chute, what happens? Do you, are you curious? Do you think, well, maybe when you do it, it won't happen? Oh, if I do it, you know, I'll be okay. But we'll sin and say those exact words, right? We'll say, well, yeah, 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 yeah. But I don't think, I really don't think that that matters to God. I really don't think that if I, if I spend, I spent uh, probably the better part of 14 years rebelling against God as hard as anybody that I've ever known has rebelled against God. And let me tell you, I took a spiritual beating for it. It wasn't God holding a bat and beating me because I was being disobedient. It was the natural occurrence of me violating spiritual laws. Are you tracking with me? It's what naturally happens to someone when they violate. What is God doing in Isaiah? He's weeping. He's grief stricken. Why are you going down the road? Uh, my son is autistic, and sometimes when he goes into a rage, he hurts himself. So he'll bang his head on a wall, or he'll, or he'll punch himself in the head, or uh, a variety of things that he uh, does creates physical damage and, and pain to him. And I, I don't ever sit back and go, oh, this is great to watch. I'm so stoked that you're punching yourself or banging your head against the wall. As his father, I want to stop him. Whoa, whoa, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. That's going to what? Hurt you. So here God is looking at a nation who's rejected him, who's going headlong into sin, <clears throat> just like we think, and, and they have divided their lives and say, the spiritual life, there's, it doesn't really matter. If I sin, I sin. I'm just going to bring an offering. And if I bring an offering... Or how about this? I can sin, 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 but if I go to church once in a while, the good outweighs the bad. You know, yin and yang, that, by the way, is not Christian. <laughs> the Bible is relatively clear. I don't have nothing good to give. God does. And I need it all. So like Isaiah, I need to have my moment before God saying, woe is me. I'm a mess. I'm broken. I need you to touch me, God. 
I need you to help me walk the road you want me to walk. So we want to begin to see the wrath of God in light of this. In verse 7, he goes on. He says, Your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. In your very presence, foreigners devour your land. It's desolate. It's overthrown by foreigners. The daughter of Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard, like a lodge in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. He says, look around you. Everything is destroyed. The, the city is on fire. The city is burning. Destruction everywhere. People are gone. People are gone that are never going to be back. How long are you going to run down this road? Every year there's something on... Some new thing kids are doing, right, uh, that, that we older people think, what and why would you want to do that, right? Whatever. What is it now? Eating Tide Pods or, you know, I don't know. Whatever, whatever. Does it hurt them? Yeah. Yeah. And so physically, we as their parents would say, don't do that. Few few years ago, there was the choking game. You guys remember the choking game? They come up behind you, choke you till you pass out, right? Let you go. Except only sometimes when you did it, the person you choked uh, uh, didn't come back too. And so you would tell your children, "Don't do that. Don't do it." But we all think, "Oh, I can do it. I, it will never happen to me." But it's a physical reality. I want us to begin to see when we talk about sin, it's a spiritual reality where real destructive forces are happening to your spirit. And your spirit is more you than your body is. Your body one day is going to crumble and go away. Your spirit is not going to. That part goes on. Continues. So God's saying, look around you. Destruction everywhere. Everything's empty. What has been happening spiritually eventually leaks into your life physically. Yeah. You've had this rebellion and this thing going on. You think, it's all good. I, I, there's, no, there's no consequence to these choices. But for Israel, there was. Yeah. Because... The false God, what, is, what does he want? Satan came to lie, kill, and destroy. So if I'm serving him, what am I, I going to get paid? Lies, death, and destruction. And that's what God's saying. Look around you. Look what's happening. Now, the destruction is not total, right? So Isaiah is always saying, God is always going to put in... To this man, look how you're suffering, but the destruction is not total. It's not too late. Stop. It's not too late to change your direction. It's not too late to get on the road of wisdom and walk the path of life. It's never too late to stop. As long as you have breath in your lungs. It's time. There's time. And this is the pleading that God gives. <clears throat> There's not been an utter destruction. You're not completely destroyed. There's still some left. So stop. So what is it that God's looking for from them? Here's the, the charge. Hey, you guys are strange. You're following false gods. You're on the road of destruction. What is it that God's looking for? He wants the real, not the hypocritical. 
He wants surreal. Look what he says in, in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. You're guilty. That's the point of that. You're gui- you guilty people. Listen to what he says. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, said the Lord. I've had enough of your burnt offerings. He's like, what do you, why do you guys keep coming to, and doing this? When you're just doing the physical part, right? You're just punching the card. You're just, you're just showing up, but there's no reality to it. The point of a burnt offering was to say to God, I'm all yours, just like this offering is all yours. But there wasn't that reality. There was just, oh, I, oh yeah, what are you doing today? Oh, I had to drop off the burnt offering. So it went, yeah, we burn it all up. You know, you know, want to make sure I, I did that part of my duty. Right? That's just focused on the physical and not considering the spiritual reality that God's looking for communion, right? That was the point of sacrifice, guys, that there would be some kind of communion. He says, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. So you ever wonder, you sit around and you go, I wonder what all that sacrifice was all about. Well, God just said, hey, that's, that, well, it wasn't about the sacrifice. It wasn't about appeasing or atonement it was about it was it, it was not about that it was about you and me being able to relate you and me spending time you and me you recognizing your brokenness in this substitute animal that's supposed to stand for you <clears throat> and you recognizing that i'm the one to whom you go to to find wholeness i, I don't want your sacrifice I don't want you to kill a bunch of bulls and goats. I just want you. I just want you to come to me. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination, he says. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, the solemn assembly. I cannot endure iniquity, sin in the solemn assembly. You, you, you don't want to deal with the sin issue. You don't want to deal with the sin issue. You just want to punch a card. You just want to say, I came. You just want to say, I gave my offering. I, I, I brought my sacrifice. In Isaiah chapter 6, what does Isaiah do before God? Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a mess, God. Isaiah says, God, I'm a mess. That's what God's looking for. The reality of I need you. That I I can't just punch a card. I'm I can pretend to be good, but God doesn't want hypocritical. He doesn't want me to pretend to be anything. He wants me to come to him and say, I'm broken. Will you make me whole? That's what he wants. That's what he's looking for from his people. This response to him. He says, Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them when you spread out your hands. So think of this as a man standing before God in prayer. Hands spread. He says, you spread out your hands. Um, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Why? Your hands are full of blood. The, the, I, the picture is like, I'm pretending that I don't have this blood on me. That I, I'm pretending that I'm not guilty of murder. I'm pretending that I'm not 
I've not thought about killing my brother. I've not hated my brother without cause. Or I've not, I've not done some, something like what Jesus talked about, right? When you, when you look at a woman and you think about her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Or when you hate your brother, you already committed murder in your heart. Cain killed Abel long before he picked up the stone. So God's saying, why do you come to me with blood all over your hands praying? Pretending like the blood's not there. What would be a better way to come? Yeah, my knees bowed saying, God, I'm guilty. All throughout scripture, what is it that God's looking for? An attitude of repentance. The problem is we can always see someone else's guilt. We have a hard time seeing our own. I mean, Isaiah's going to spend five chapters seeing everybody else's guilt before he sees his own, right? We're going to spend five chapters. You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. Then Isaiah stands in front of God, and what's he say? I'm guilty. That's the answer. The answer to it is the I'm guilty. The answer to it is I've got blood on my hands, God. Forgive me. Forgive me. We, we maximize the physical and we minimize the spiritual. We maximize the I, I went to church, or we maximize I prayed, or I read my Bible. But the point is, is any of that getting in? Or am I just punching a card? Am I just doing the deed? Am I just bringing the offering? Am I just having the, the feast day? Or am I really standing before a holy God with bloody hands and saying, God, though my sins are as scarlet, you can make me what? This is what it is that, that Isaiah is pleading with. So look what he says in verse 16. He says, so wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Get the blood off your hands. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. That, that is the polar opposite. Of empty religion. Empty religion is all these things. Praying with bloody hands. Doing evil deeds. Continuing to do evil. Not caring to do good. Not caring about justice. Not worrying about oppression. Not bringing justice to the fatherless. What did James say? Pure and undefiled religion is what? Visit widows in their affliction. Reach out to the orphan, right? Is there any difference in what Isaiah is saying? What Isaiah is is saying is don't be fake. Just be real. It should penetrate into your life so that it becomes about how you live. The choices and the things that we do. That we want to do good. That we want to seek justice. That we don't want to be oppressive. We can recognize when there's oppression. We can see the, the... the uh, fatherless, the orphan and the widow um, being taken advantage of. What's he talking about when he talks about the orphan and the widow, by the way? You think he just randomly picked those two? The orphan and the widow can't pay you back. They have nothing to offer you. The orphan has no money and no way to get any. The widow has no money, no way to get any. They can't return the favor. He's saying, man, this is, what, this is what it ought to look like. This is what we ought to be doing. 
So he talks about the wisdom of obedience immediately in verse 18. This is going to sound familiar, right? Look at verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Come now, let us reason together. Remove. Uh, He says, come let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall become like wool. What does God say? God is not saying, there's nothing you can do. You're doomed. What he's saying is, come let us reason. By the way, that word reason is argue. So I'm sure most of us don't like to argue. I don't like to argue. I hate arguing with uh, Kathy. I don't like it. I'd rather just be quiet and not argue. But here, God to his people says, come, let's, let's work this out. The picture is like a, a wife who is driven to confrontation to connect with her husband. And so the wife is saying, yeah, you don't get to go to bed. We're going to talk about this now. Anybody ever experienced that? Okay, so, so that's what we're, that's what, only in this case, instead of it being the wife, who is it? It's God saying to us, yeah, let's work this out. Yeah, you're covered in blood, but I can make you white as snow. Isn't that what he's saying? Yeah, your sins are red as crimson. There's a the gulf between us, but I can make it. I can take care of it. Just come to me. Come to me and allow, allow me to do this work. Verse 19, he goes on, the same idea. Look what he says. If you are willing and obedient, you can eat the good of the land. <laughs> but if you refuse and rebel, then you'll be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What is he saying? If you are willing and obey or if you refuse and rebel. He's saying there's still time to change the road you're on. If you change the road you're on, you can eat the good of the land. But if you stay on this road, you're going to be eaten by the sword. He's just telling us what's on the road. He's just saying what's down the road, what's coming, what's laid out before us. He wants you and I to make a a real decision where we are saying, yeah, it's it's you and me, Lord. I don't want to be estranged. I want to be faithful to you. I don't want to be worshiping myself as a God. That's probably my biggest problem. I'm not necessarily running to another God. I just run to me. Because I, of course, know better. But in reality, God is saying, hey, come follow me. If you're willing. Jesus said this in Matthew 21. What do you think of this? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard. So he said, no. I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. He went to the other son and said the same. His other son said, I'll go, but didn't go. Which of the two did the will of the father? What's the point? Words are cheap. Come on. You ever have somebody tell you they love you? 
They love you? Is it real? That's easy to say. It's a whole nother thing to show. No? How about, I trust you? You ever have somebody, somebody say, I trust you? Words are cheap. It's easy to say. It's a whole nother thing to do. What is it, what is it that Jesus is saying? And there was one son, and he was asked, and he's like, I don't want to do it. But what did he do? He did it. So which one really was obedient to his father? Which one loved his, his dad? The one who did what his dad asked. Not the one who said, oh yeah, I'll do it, and didn't do it. The words have nothing to do with it. The point is, our actions are where it's at. Isn't that what James is all about? That's the point of James, is that words are cheap. Yeah, we, they're, they're, they should be connected to a reality. Yeah, they should be connected to our life. So then Jesus said to them, Uh, or they said to him the first. So Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. Why? What's he mean by that? Whores and robbers. Thief. The thief and the whores are going to heaven before you. Why? Because a thief and 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 a whore knows who they are. Do you know who you are? See, that's that's one of the things God cured me of through my testimony, right? 14 years of rebellion against God. I know who I am. I'm nothing special. I'm a dirt bag. Been a dirt bag. Still a dirt bag. The only thing that makes me not a dirt bag today is Jesus Christ. Without him, I'm still a, a dog returning to his vomit apart from Christ, changing my nature. Do you know who you are? Because Jesus points to the scribes and Pharisees as they were all pretty sure they were pure, right? Why? Because they punched the card. They brought their offerings. They dropped money in the basket. They did all the things they were supposed to do. So surely their sins don't count against them. And God's like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. None of that stuff takes care of your sin. What takes care of your sin is you acknowledging you're a sinner before God. I'm broke. You can fix me. That's what God's looking for. That's what Isaiah is pleading with the people for. And so in verse 21, he says, So how the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now only murderers. <laughs> As the goes the city, so goes the people. It's a lamentation from God over where the people are. This is who you are. This is what he's saying to, the, to Jerusalem. This is who you are. You're whores and murderers, but you don't know it. You you paint yourself all white. Jesus said you're whitewashed tombs full of what? Dead men's bones. What's that mean? On the inside, you're a mess. You can make it look good on the outside, but God's not interested in the lies we paint for other people. What's he interested in? Truth. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Not lies. Real. God wants the real. Verse 22, your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water, your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They don't bring justice to the fatherless. The widow's cause is not even, they could care less. This is, 
God is saying, this is who you are really. This is really what's happening in you. Hosea said the same thing in Hosea chapter 4, first three verses. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. This is how God sees. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. You don't know me. You're not faithful to me. You don't love me. He says, there is, however, swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery, the breaking of all bounds, bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. The beasts of the fields and the birds of the heaven and every fish of the sea are taken away. Here's the spiritual reality of where you are and here's the effect physically in the land. Can you see that in our nation? The result of spiritual rebellion plays out physically. The Bible calls it the wrath of God, but what it is is the the effect of spiritual laws being disobeyed. It's what happens when we run down the road of destruction. When we go 100 miles an hour in our car and hit a wall. We all know what happens physically if we do that. But for some reason we think spiritually it doesn't matter. <clears throat> Isaiah one twenty four. Therefore the Lord declares, The Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 4. He says, For it is time for judgment to begin. Where does it start? Judgment begins in the house of God. Who does God judge first? The people who say they're His. You say you're mine. Judgment begins in the house of God. If it begins in the house of God, what will be the outcome for those who reject Him? Isaiah 125, he says, I will turn my hand against you, and I will smelt away your dross as with lye, remove all your alloy, restore your judges like it was at the beginning, your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. What's God's purpose as they go through the struggles they go through as a result of their spiritual rebellion? Is God's goal their destruction or their redemption? That's love. You ever been burned by the same person over and over and over again? Do you want their redemption? Well, you're an imager of God. Do you want vengeance and to burn them and see them took in a back alley and beat slowly? Well, then we're not imaging right the attitudes of God. He says, Zion will be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent... By righteousness, but rebels and sinners will be broken together, for they have forsaken the Lord and will be consumed. If there's no repentance, the road of destruction only leads one place, right? To destruction. They shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers like a garden without water all these are pictures of of places in which the rebellion and idolatry would take place 
And he's saying it's like you wanted these oaks, the trees, the places where people would worship false gods. These are the things that you wanted, so you've got them, but they can't help you. So you've got what you want. But in the end, it just is going to bring about your end. But he says, the strong shall become tender, his work a spark. And both of them will burn together and none will quench them. The picture of the human oak. I'm a big tree and I'm good all by myself. I got it. God says, you don't got nothing. You're a big piece of tinder. And I'm the spark. If you neglect the spiritual realities, you will be destroyed. Just like if you ignore gravity. That's the point that God is laying out. The foundation he's laying. Isaiah 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. What's the cure? What did he tell us? Come let us reason together. If you want to be clean, where do I got to go? I got to come to him. In truth, right? Honestly, God, you can make me clean. Just like that leper standing before Jesus. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. All God's got to do is what? Touch. And it's done. If we, like Isaiah's people, like Israel, have turned aside to something else, to anything else, and we're just punching a card, we're on that same path of destruction. Our nation surely is. We're on that, we think we can do whatever we want. We violate every spiritual law. It doesn't matter. We can rebel against the God we know that exists. We can even proclaim from the rooftops, there is no God. We must save ourselves. But it doesn't change the reality. The law is still the law. God created this universe. And we can't ignore the spiritual realities. So when we see it, God's looking for a people, not who are too proud, but a people who are humble enough to say, I'm a mess, God, fix me. Because when the leper did that to Jesus, did Jesus say, get out of here, you dirty leper? What about when a prostitute came to him, wept all over his feet, washed his feet with her tears, and the, and the scribes and the Pharisees looked at Jesus and said, don't you know what kind of woman that is? Why you let her touch you? So Jesus turned around and said, get out of here, woman, you dirty woman, get away from me. No, what does God do? He makes her holy. He says to the Pharisees, she's going to make it to heaven before you do. Because she knows who she is. Prayerfully, as we continue our study, we'll know who we are, right? And have that honest conversation with our God. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We begin this study, Lord. We thank you for the book of Isaiah, for the pictures it's going to paint. And I pray, Lord, that we will be challenged. And I pray, Lord, that we will be convicted. And I, and I pray, God, that if, if we're being hypocritical, if we're just painting the outside with, with uh, paint, you know, this is, I make myself look good by the things I do or the things I say, that we realize, God, you're not interested in fake. You want the real. The reason you love the the prostitutes and the lepers and the tax collectors because they didn't try to lie that they were not broken. 
they came to you and said, I'm broke. I come to you, God, and I say, my hands have blood on them. But though my sins are as scarlet, God, you can make me white as snow. So I come to you like a leper. And I say, God, if you're willing, you can make me clean. 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. For the heart of a man or woman who is humble and repentant before their God, God will forgive every single time. So, God, may we, your people, stop pretending to be something that we're not and repent from what we are. And, God, will you touch us like you touched Isaiah? And will you give to us the same thing you gave to Isaiah? Who will go for me? For Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so go, therefore, make disciples of every nation. God, I pray that we hear the same thing in Isaiah. Who will go for us? Who will tell this people? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. God, I pray that this be our response. Give us eyes to see our spiritual need and humility enough to ask for your help. And we'll give you all the praise for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. The that once was crowned with all is crowned with glory now the Savior knelt to wash our feet now at his feet we bow the one who wore our sin Now robe of majesty, the radiance of perfect love, now shines for all to see. Your name, your name is victory, our praise. We'll rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name is victory. Our praise will rise to Christ our King. The fear that held us now gives way. To him who is our peace, his final breath upon the cross is now. 
Your name, your name is victory. Our praise will rise to Christ the King. Your name, your name is victory. Our praise will rise to Christ the King. By your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. Is resurrecting me. The tumor soldiers watched in vain. Was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain our God is wrath the grave our God is wrath the grave your name your name is victory our praise will rise to Christ our King your name your name By your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to gather tonight. We just pray for our hearts, Father. We, it, the message always hits the heart, Father, and I know where I stand, and I, just, I am just grateful that you are a merciful God, Father. And we just pray for our hearts as we leave here tonight that, Father, we just continue to praise you. And every